Well, I'm glad you're all here. Otherwise, I'd be talking to myself. Um, we're starting a new sermon series on the names of Jesus. Uh, there's in the in the Bible, both in the Old and New T- Testament, there are depending upon how you parse them. There's either 56 or 83 or something names of Jesus that are mentioned. Uh, some of them are ones that he uses of himself. Some of them are ones that others use of him. Some of them are things that were mentioned in promise and prophecy uh, that he would be man of sorrows, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, lord of lords and kings of kings, Messiah, Christ, Savior, Master, Lord. And the names go on. And each of the names, uh, well, Eric Eaton and I were talking before church, and it's, it's funny how each of the names are very, very steeped in theology. And what I mean by theology, that's the study of God, but it's, it's also who God is. It's, it's about describing God. It's about describing his nature, his, his beauty, his power, his majesty, his glory, his wonder, his, his just, uh, the words escape. That's what theology is. And so as we were talking, we said, you know, this is kind of the deep end of the pool to talk about the names of Jesus. So this is an adult swim, just so you know. Kids are welcome, but it's an adult swim. This is the deep end. It's, this, is, this is where we get to know this God in a, in a way that is both personal and beyond imagining all at the same time. In three of the names of, God, of Jesus, the name includes the word son. We've heard over and over, Jesus, the Son of God. And as the Son of God, that says some amazing things about who Jesus is. He represents God. He comes from God. He is born of God. He is the nature of God. He is the... And when I say the nature of God, you know, when we're born, we're born in the nature of human beings. We're born in the nature of God's original creation. We're born in the nature of Adam. Nature, natural. It's, this is, we are part of nature. Jesus, son of God, born of the nature of God from heaven. But that's not the one we're going to look at today. One of the other ones that uses the the term son is son of David. For the Jews, the name son of David was very important and very powerful. David was the, the king. He wasn't the first king, but he was the first king who was really kingly, if that makes sense. Um, God specifically chose him over his brothers. Not only his family brothers, but everybody else in the kingdom. He was a shepherd. He was a boy. And he had to struggle with the, the king who was in place for decades before he became king. But he was the anointed of God. And to be called the son of David in the Jewish history, in the Jewish tradition, was to say, this is a king. This is someone who will rule. This is someone who falls in that line. More importantly, he is a son of promise. 
because it was promised to David that there would be a kingdom that would never pass away, that David would begin. Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, which means that he sought God and sought God's heart, but he was also of God's heart. But David was a man. He was an adulterer, a murderer, a warrior. He acted crazy to protect himself. There were so many things that David did that were just so human. There's a, there's a song out there. I really kind of like the song, but the, the song says, I'm only human. You know, don't put your blame on me. I'm only human. I can't bear your blame. It's really true, isn't it? Except we come to this third of the three where son is included in the name. And that's the one that Jesus called himself the most. Eighty times in the New Testament. Now some of those are duplicates where it's the same incident but recorded by one of the other gospel writers. Fifty-six times if you want to count them. And then some people when they're studying theology, they want to count all this stuff. It's really important. How many times? It's one of the most common names of Jesus. It's, it's the one that Jesus would use to predict what was yet to come. It was the one that would, he would use to describe his participation in what was going on around him. It was the name that he would use of himself when he was talking intimately about the things that were in his heart. Son of man. It's probably the most difficult for us to kind of comprehend of the three. It's easy to understand Son of David in some sense. I mean, that's, that's a Jewish kingly title and name. It's, and Son of God, we understand that because he is truly the Son of God. But Son of Man? Literally, if he were speaking in Aramaic, he'd be saying, Son of Adam. He'd be saying those literal words, son of Adam. That's interesting. Because from Adam, who was created by the hand of God, he didn't didn't go through birth. He just was created by God's own hands. Literally God's handiwork. Fingerprints of God all over him, formed out of clay. But it says in Genesis, this most powerful thing about Adam's birth. When he was formed in the image of God, it says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Now we sang a song, you're my breath, you are my life. In theology, we use lots of terms, and I'll try to explain them. The, the term that would be in Scripture in the Greek Bible would be pneuma. Pneuma, breath. But that's also the name of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Pneuma, breath. It's said that the best way to say God's name, Yahweh, is Yahweh. 
breath, life. So when Jesus calls himself son of man, son of Adam, son of the one from whom sin came into the world, he's describing himself in a way that sometimes we don't want him to. We prefer him to be son of God. (laughs) But son of man? That's hard. But that's what he wanted us to know of him when he described himself. Son of man. Some would say you could even just shorten that to just saying human. Human. God in his glory and his majesty in heaven. All power and all that there is are because of him. He took his essence. And he said to Mary, you will, conce- you will conceive and bring forth a son. How can we describe the God of the universe as a son, a human, one like us? He was born of a virgin in a little place called Bethlehem, not even the main city. He didn't get to stay there very long. He had to move first to Egypt and then to Nazareth. One of his names is Jesus the Nazarene, but he wasn't born there. The Son of Man, then, is clearly something new. All of the history from the time of Adam until the time of Jesus, and including our time today, is a working out of that promise, of that birth. The Old Testament sets the foundation. The Old Testament gives the promise. The Old Testament says what the promise is about. The Old Testament gives laws to show what it is to be righteous, although no one can be. You might say that the Old Testament gave us laws so that we'd know the sinfulness of sin. And in that promise then, because no one could be righteous, there was a promise of a Savior that would come. It was difficult to recognize, but he was born. He was born of a, as, a, as a man. The first man was created by God, and God said he's good. He's very good. But then he rebelled against God's nature and God's goodness, and God's provision, and took something that he wasn't allowed to have. And so Adam sinned, and he fell, and so Adam died. And death became a part 
of our nature. When Jesus was born, he burst into history. He burst into history. God entered human history by becoming a man. God's God's plan is, you know, God could just say, look, guys, I'm done. I'm done with you. You're a mess. But he didn't do that. He could say, you are so dirty and so awful and so vile that I'm just going to create a whole bunch of things to make you better. He could have snapped his fingers and made us different. He said, no, I'm going to be born among you. I'm going to be born among you. I had a a Bible college professor one time say, what is the implication of the fact that a man sits on the throne of the universe? And all us Bible college folks, we said, a man doesn't sit on the throne of the universe. The Son of God does. He was born a man. And he sits on the throne of the universe. Scripture tells us he is tempted in every way, just as we are. Tempted in every way... Think about your temptations, the things you carry. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. He obeyed. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us that he had to learn obedience by suffering through temptation. Why did he do that? What manner of love is this that God would become man and live among us. His life was without sin, the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled every promise of God. He truly was son of David, but it was, his mission wasn't to come and sit on an earthly throne. He fulfilled every promise. He was the Word of God. That's another of the names, Logos. It's a Greek word that means the collection of all things. At the front of a book, it would say Logos, which was the table of contents. If you talked about Socrates or Plato or any other writer, you would say that the th- all the things that he wrote, if you put them all in one place, that would be the Logos of Socrates. That would be the Logos of P- Plato. Jesus is the Logos of God. Everything God meant to say to you and to me, to all people, for all times, is Jesus, the Son of Man. Nothing was left out. Everything there is to know is known in Him. We spend a lot of time in the noise, (laughs) the stuff that, okay, we know it, but doesn't matter. Ultimately, the Logos 
the word of God, the collection of all there is to know of God, the Son of Man. This is, this is his life. This is why he came to live among us. Oh, yeah, people say he's a good teacher. Yeah, he was a good teacher, but that wasn't why he's here. We talked before. He, he was a healer, but he didn't heal everybody he came in contact with. He, he, was, he was so many things, but what he was was a man who came to live among us, to live a perfect life, that he might fulfill the promise of a perfect sacrifice so that we might be changed by that. And he was crucified. Jesus says many times in Scripture, the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be sacrificed. The Son of Man must be put to death. The Son of Man must be turned over to the rulers and the chief priests and the scribes and be arrested by them. Mm. We sing that song, and death was arrested. And my life began. Wow. Oh, we continue to have death in the physical form, but we don't have death in the reality form anymore in him. Because he died. The Son of Man, the perfect sacrifice, the Word of God, the, the everything God wanted to say to us was put to death. said to Peter, don't you know, if I had come to bring war, I could have called on my father and he'd have sent legions of angels. He came to lay down his life. And he died. He died. After being with him for three and a half years, after hearing it over and over again, that this was what the Son of Man had come for. This is what the Son of Man's purpose was. This is who he, he is, his nature. When Jesus died, everyone who knew him was afraid and in mourning and sad. But the Son of Man didn't stay in the grave. He arose. And because he arose, so shall we. Death was arrested. If you look, Paul tried to describe this. Paul and, in, 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 you know, Paul was a great writer. <laughs> I, I love to read Paul. And Paul contemplated this reality, this reality of birth, life, death, and resurrection that was portrayed in the life of the Son of Man. And he tried to, he tried to give us a, an understanding of just exactly what does that mean? And if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 20, 
And this is after he's described a lot of things about resurrection from the dead, you know, the resurrection of the Christ, orderly you know, worship and how we should worship him in these things. He comes to this and he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Firstfruits are very, very important. That's not just a throwaway word there. That's another whole area of theology. Firstfruits means the thing that's worthy to be sacrificed. When Cain and Abel came and they gave sacrifice, they brought what was supposed to be the first fruits. Well, we know Cain brought some of what was harvests, but Abel brought the first fruits, the best, the very best he had. He brought those. First fruits were also something that when you had children, your firstborn was first fruits. <laughs> And they were to be a priest and a, and a, and a leader and a, and a caretaker of the rest of the family. The firstborn was supposed to be all this. How many here are firstborns? <laughs> how many of us are doing that? <laughs> but the firstborns, the Chinese, to this day, the firstborn takes care of the parents. The firstborn is where retirement for the parents are found. Firstborn, firstfruits, Jesus was by raising from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Death was arrested. He rose again. He is the first among those who have died to be that which he is. For since death came through a man, that would be Adam. Because see, in, in Romans, it says, the wages of sin is death. And later it says, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, death is the wages of sin. But Jesus rose. The first fruit, the firstborn, the first one. Because death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man also. The first Adam was born in perfection and fell. The second man, Jesus, was born for perfection and did away with death. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For each in his own turn, Christ, the firstfruits then, when he comes, those who will call those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that it does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son of Man, the Son Himself, will be made subject to Him who put everything under Him, so that God may be all in all. <laughs> Skip down to about verse forty-five. <clears throat> so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, 
a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, Adam. And after that, the spiritual, Jesus. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have, been, have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Jesus, the Son of Man, came that man may be forever changed. Forever. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of honor. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of obedience. He is worthy. You want to know what grace is? God knew what we'd do and made us anyway. And he came and lived among us that he, could, that he would forever change who we are in front of him. Yes, man bears the image of Adam and the history of Adam and the truth of Adam. Death came through one man. But through one man, life came. He's the first fruits. He is the example. He is the pattern. He is the truth of those who are called according to his name. He is the first among many siblings. And we are siblings of him and one another. This is the reason that there is a Son of Man. This is theology. This is the deep end of the pool. And theology, though it's knowledge, it's also practical. In fact, knowing these truths without the practicality of what they mean and how they fit into our lives is a sad missing of what God is saying to us. Because since we are siblings, Jesus said, I'm going to send someone to live within you, that within you then would be the image and the nature of the Son of Man. Because now that there has been a Son of Man, that nature has passed away. You can come into this new nature. You can be born again. Not born in the nature of sin and death, but born in the nature of heavenly things. Grace and life. Truth. You can be born again. And you can live this way. I'll give you a helper. And you'll know the helper's there if you have love, joy, peace. 
If in your life you find patience, kindness, and goodness, and the internal working of your heart, it's about gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You'll know that I'm with you when you experience love. You'll know that I'm with you when joy overflows and you live at peace with your siblings. I find it fascinating. We just had Thanksgiving. We sat around the table. I had somebody ask me a couple weeks ago, we were doing a thing on how to talk in difficult situations. And he said, do you have a program for Thanksgiving dinner? I thought that was pretty funny. Yes! (laughs) His name is the Son of Man, Jesus. We are siblings. We don't all look the same. It doesn't matter. We don't all think the same. It doesn't matter. We didn't all vote for the same people. It definitely doesn't matter. We are, we are His. Our life is in Him. Our breath is His. We are new and changed. Hallelujah. Because we are forever changed by the Son of Man. We're going to sing another song. But as we close, let me just pray for you all. Heavenly Father, your plans are not our plans. Your purposes are beyond our understanding. How is it that a God so immense, so glorious, so majestic, so powerful, could decide to come and live among us in these jars of clay? And yet without doing so, we would have no fellowship with you or one another. Before the Son of Man, we were just living, surviving. But with the coming of man, we become a people, a family. We become your own. Help us to deeply know this truth, Lord. And as we go into the time of celebrating your birth among us, we know that you are truly most high, King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet you came as a man that you might know us and that we might know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.